0: been attending to our experience you've been attending to your experience as best you can with whatever goodness of heart and sincerity of intention and presence of mind you've been able to muster moment by moment it may be that sometimes that feels like it comes easily effortlessly and that there's a natural interest, delight, gratitude to be in touch with one's experience. And sometimes it comes less easily. Sometimes it feels like, a, a, like we've explored that there can be a sense of struggle or of hard work. But it can be grueling to sit and face not just one's unfolding experience but actually to sit and face all the habitual strategizing and posturing and manipulating that we see ourselves doing that we want to stop doing and yet that we can feel the kind of the karmic momentum of in other words the habituated learned conditioned habit energy and with those factors going on there's this uh, rather lovely sounding retreat title intimacy and infinity maybe moments where you've felt you've touched something of that or maybe some moments where you feel you're stuck in the uh, limbo between the two. There's something inspiring about that word, intimacy. We long, actually, all of us, we long for intimacy. We, and what we mean by intimacy generally is the closing of the gap. Right. To be intimate with is to close the gap between uh, that which we take ourselves to be and that which we want to be intimate with. And what we usually seek out to close that gap is another. I want to be intimate with you. And we tend to have different styles in our approach to intimacy. Right? Some of us, we, we want it and we pursue it. And uh, there's a kind of a, a, a love of it. And we find ourselves actually quite easily, easily able to abandon ourselves to intimacy. To give ourselves, whether that's the uh, sexual, uh, romantic uh, intimacy our experience, whether it's uh, maybe the quiet intimacy that we find ourselves dropping into, as while walking in nature, for example, or while uh, painting, or while listening to music, or whatever area or areas of life where we find ourselves given to that, dropped into that, uh, pulled into that, allowing that to happen. And if that's our style, usually going along with that is some a kind of a certain painfulness of the contrast between those moments, those moments of ecstatic union, we might say. Those moments where the world and the sense of division or separation we feel drops away. And there's an experience of intimacy with the nature, the person, uh, etc. And the contrast between that and then the moments where we feel kind of rudely ejected from that intimacy into uh, a, some sense of separation from. And just like we were uh, mentioning yesterday about uh, intimate relationship as the theatre for that, well, you get to see your, how your intimacy style and relationship. Like I say, either the the loving of it, the wanting of it, which then can lead to some frustration, it can lead to reinforcing the hard luck story when I feel it's not available. For others, the intimacy style is that intimacy itself feels something, that very sense of loss of boundaries. That very sense of uh, an undividedness, a very sense of a a profound connection with, actually can feel threatening. And the tendency is, while longing for a sense of intimacy, to nevertheless withdraw into a kind of self-protective bubble. An intimacy where we may be, that we maybe seek out not so much in contact with others, but more in aloneness. And then we find a sense of being able to oh, to settle, to quieten, to feel more sense of uh, uh, peace or uh, ease or contentment with our own company. And yet, even that style of intimacy tends to define itself. Aloneness tends to define itself in terms of other, in the absence of other, in being apart from other, in being safe from the vagaries of world and others and the various uh, demands, etc. So we might find ourselves very much drawn towards other as a way to get, as a way to seek Intimacy. We may find ourselves pulling back from other, as a way to try and get intimacy, or we may find ourselves more in that kind of the the sort of position of romantic of a longing, that we see others and we we project intimacy onto all kinds of other situations. That other people we see couples walking hand in hand and we think, oh, it's there as if we can see some intimacy all around us and everywhere else and we're longing for it, but again, there's a sense of being apart from. So when we think of intimacy in the usual sense, it's 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 defined by the relationship with other. And maybe we could say it's defined by the distance from other or... Lack thereof, lack of distance. But, and the, of course, the, the more we feel apart from, or distant, the more unintimate we feel, the more separate, the more alone, the bigger that gap seems to be between where I am and where this fulfillment, called being undivided with, intimate with life, seems to be. But there's a more fundamental division. It's certainly true that we can feel apart from others, apart from life. But that sense of non-intimacy, that sense of separation or apartness, has its foundation in a much more fundamental division. The way we, we tend to uh, experience ourselves as divided from our own experience... That's, I was going to say that's much of, but maybe it's not an exaggeration to say that's all of the trouble of meditation. Is that we're busy trying to meditate divided from our experience. We're busy trying to meditate as if there's two things happening. There's somebody meditating and there's something happening. We're busy trying to achieve some sort of intimacy. But we're trying to achieve it across a split where there's the one we're taking ourselves to be. Trying to uh, be aware of, connected to, intimate with the experience that we're taking ourselves as having. Is that clear when I say it like that? There's the one we're taking ourselves to be, trying to be connected to the experience we're taking ourselves as having. Where, though, where, oh where, is the division? Can you separate out the two? Can you have any sense of the one you take yourself to be, Without it having any experience? If you take away the experience, what's left? Similarly, can you find any experience separate from where that experience is appearing? So, to put it a li- in slightly different language, in the language we've been using of awareness and experience, I think I said earlier today awareness abides freely and experience unfolds freely without those two being different. So, our sense is, as we practice, that there's awareness aware of experience. But this is an important point. It's not for us to try and figure out. It's for us to look intimately. Can you know awareness without there being any experience? What does awareness reflect other than that which is arising? Can you have any experience without there being awareness? Just to see right now, awareness and experience, we can speak about them in these ways, right? But we can't separate them. Awareness and experience are fundamentally intimate with one another. No wonder we struggle. In meditation to try and get something called intimacy to try and be um, intimate with breath intimate with body intimate with thought intimate with feeling when all the while our attempt to be intimate is based on the assumption that those two things are somehow apart from one another the assumption that there is a gap to be closed Maybe we're closer to ourselves than we think. Maybe we're closer to ourselves than we think. Maybe awareness is already so intimate with experience that the very attempt to go somewhere with awareness, to take our attention somewhere, The very attempt to close the gap only serves to reinforce the illusion of difference. So there's the um, tragic comedy of meditation practice. Attempting to get to where we already are trying to close a gap that doesn't really exist. So we do our best. We do our best in a style that we might call humorously clumsy meditation. Like we've been saying all week, awareness is already here. Breath is already here. There can be no experience of breath without awareness. We can say, well, breath is. We can assume that breath has been going on because I'm still here. But there can't be the experience of breath. There can't be the experience of anything without awareness. So, in our clumsy way, we try to pay attention, we try to. And much of the time, all the while that illusion of separation persists, it feels clumsy, right? It feels like a struggle. It feels like I'm trying to do something called being aware of breath and it's not happening very well or it sort of lines up for a few moments oh my god here we are and then a thought comes along the thought of separation comes along and reinforces the illusion oh dear but there's no way to talk ourselves out of that tragic comedy So we pay attention as if. We start where we are. We start with the sense that there's there's um, something here that's aware. We start with the sense that there's something here that's happening. And we point ourselves through the language we've been using. We point ourselves so as to explore that relationship. We evoke the possibility of being close to, of being intimate with what's happening. Of, in or sometimes we've called it these days, inhabiting the experience with awareness. We've used the language the Buddha used of knowing the body in the body. Knowing the feelings in the feelings. It's a deceptively simple language that he uses. It's one that I heard in the very first retreat I sat in Thailand 25 years ago. Knowing the body in the body. It's one I've probably heard every retreat since. But... That what that means has deepened and deepened and deepened over time to the point that what seemed like a very simple and ordinary instruction now seems to me like a perfect distillation of an instruction to know the body in the body not to know the body in the idea not to know the body in the thought not to know the body in the image but to know the body in the body there's another way of evoking this intimacy, this non-separation. So, like I say, in our clumsy way, we do our best. We do our best by <coughs> aligning as best we can this capacity we we undeniably have to direct where attention goes. I can uh, put attention there to my knee, I can put attention there to the space around me, I can put attention there to the hearing of the birds. Some capacity to direct attention. So we use that that capacity of directing attention to align this mysterious, immediate, alive quality of knowing we call awareness, with this alive, mysterious unfolding of life, which we call experience. And uh, as some of you have been reporting, and others of you have no but doubt been noticing, sometimes when that alignment uh, um, happens, Sometimes maybe taking us by surprise in some moment where I've just gotten tired of my own reinforcing of the illusion of separation, whoever the I is. When we've just gotten tired of that, well, we've almost we've forgotten maybe to do it. We've gotten bored of the sound of our own repetitive ideas about uh, ourselves and about the world, about awareness and about experience and in those moments maybe in that alignment a what a, a certain harmony a certain spaciousness a certain pristine stillness a certain natural ease of the way awareness knows and the way experience unfolds. In other words, a certain intimacy, a certain closing of the gap that actually was never there. A certain dropping of the illusion of that gap. So we might say, well, so then what? So then what? What happens in this intimacy? And we might use different words, we might hear different words from teachings that explore or try try to explain this. It rather depends on the angle from which we look. There tend to be three primary angles through which we experience the uh, the natural, aligned, immediate freeness of life. Three angles, there might be three perspectives. We might say three that are not really different from each other, but they have nuances of difference. The first might be the more the embodied perspective. When the sense of immediacy, when the intimacy with experience is grounded in just the, what we've been calling, body-sitting, embodied awareness. And the sense that what this is, this life, this interplay between the awareness that knows life and the experience that is life might appear as just pure presence isness hereness beingness and we could say what could we say about life from this perspective we can say that life we can say that life's here <coughs> and that's one of the reasons we've been emphasizing uh, using the kind of lower part of the body as a reference point for, for training our attention to wake up that possibility to sense the isness the presence in which all of life has its expression. The presence that one can never be outside of. Try to be elsewhere other than here. Right? You can't get very far. Try to go oh no, I'm still here. You go here, still here. Go anywhere you like, you always end up right here. Only place we possibly can be is here one of the other clumsinesses of our meditation practice Well that encouragement to try to be here now as if we could possibly be anywhere else if we look at this um, this intimacy of awareness and experience from the from the A little uh, clumsy with the language, maybe, but we might say from the head centre, from the perspective of awareness, we might n- know this intimacy as a kind of brightness, as luminosity. What we might call pure awareness, just knowing everything's made of awareness, the, the luminosity that knows. Like we've been saying, the light of awareness is always on. You can't not be aware. Try to switch it off now. Right? No, it's dazzlingly bright. You can't. Please try. Try harder. Try to switch off the light of your consciousness. Just the recognition that you can't do it is extremely significant. Sometimes it's the best meditation instruction. Give up on all that, I try to be aware, try to be aware, forget it, try not to be aware. And suddenly one's struck by the inherent, constant luminosity of knowing. Hence, the, in a similar way, the encouragement over these days for a continuity of awareness, regardless of the formality of posture or different types of practice, etc. A continuity of practice, not even that I'm sustaining. That's part of reinforcing the illusion of the separation, that I have to sustain this thing called awareness. But a continuity of the recognition of the brightness of awareness itself. And if we then look at the, so the, the belly center, the right, center of embodiment, that knows this intimacy as presence, here-ness, is-ness. The head center that knows it as luminosity, as pure awareness. And then, if we look at the the perspective of the heart center, that we we might speak of it as a pure allowing, a pure embracing. Intimacy as the embrace. So intimate that the embrace, there's no... It's not two things, right? It's not awareness, embracing, experience. But just the exquisiteness. Exquisite intimacy. And if we were to look for a conventional word for that, we might use the word love. And love itself is a little problematic. And Love also is one of those words that we tend to associate with uh Distance and difference. Right? Whatever it is that I love, I love you, we say to our beloveds. Or I love this or that thing, I love this or that activity. I love. What we usually mean by love is like intensely. I intensely like, I really like. And that's not really what I mean when I'm talking about love in this perspective. Actually, it turns out as our experience of life in its wholeness, in its immediacy, in its intimacy deepens. What we find out increasingly is whether I like what's happening isn't very relevant. So what do we mean by love if not to like intensely? Intensely. It's, I would say it's more about a willingness to be in contact. Those of you who have been in long-term relationships know well, how that's how love matures, right, or deepens. When we fall in love, it's very much about liking intensely, right? But that only lasts for so long, if we're honest. Before the liking intensely might still come in fits and starts, right? Might be there sometimes, but there's a sort of tailing off of the liking intensely. And some of the bits that we used to like intensely about the person, now we find actually they annoy us intensely. (laughs) And yet, as the initial, the fluttering of all that liking intensely that goes along with falling in love, as that uh, settles, as it matures, as it deepens, what the love increasingly is, is a willingness to be in contact A willingness to be here. Even actually when I don't like you. When I don't like what's happening. When I don't like the reaction I'm having. When I don't like what's being said or what's being felt. Or when I don't like the confusion or the disagreement or whatever it might be. But the love says, stay. Stay in contact. And that's why we've been emphasizing this quality of gentleness, of allowing our experience, of letting what's here be here. This willingness to stay in contact. And maybe more than any other quality. There's something most important about the perspective of the heart in terms of establishing true intimacy with life. Which we can, like I say, in our clumsy way, starting from some uh, assumption of separation, we can invoke, we can orientate towards through our willingness to be in contact Partly, we can, we can cultivate that willingness to be in contact. Partly, we need to attune to the various layers of that. Right? I'm very aware in, in giving teachings that you know, we tend to latch on to the, the words that we hear in teachings in accordance with uh, our own view, in accordance with our current experience. Sometimes we can feel just inspired by teachings, but I'm not really interested in inspiring you. Because inspiration doesn't last very long. You walk out or have inspired lovely talk, and then by the time you've walked for 20 minutes up and down, and mind has gone here, and then the inspiration. and then you're just thinking about the hot drink. I've lost my thread I uh, when I say) uh, <laughs> Yeah, I know that bit. (laughs) I'm wondering what I am interested in. (laughs) So we can hear, oh, the willingness to be in contact may be inspiring, but we have to see. There's many layers to how we meet our experience. And as we've been exploring, sometimes we meet painful states, difficult states, states that we're not willing to experience, or we don't want to experience. And sometimes it's enough to evoke that willingness, to evoke the heart quality of, let me stay with this, let me love this. Doesn't mean, like we just said, doesn't mean we have to like it. But that we feel that there's something authentic about being willing to meet this, to tolerate this, to open the heart to this. Because, not because I like it, not because I want it, but because it's here, because it's what's happening. Because if I don't meet it, I'm dividing myself from my experience. I'm reinforcing that separation. That there's someone here that I take myself to be, who's experiencing, and there's something here called experience that I don't want to have. And that increasingly, we might start to see that that is a painful condition in which to exist. That non-intimacy, that division from ourselves, that separating ourselves out from experience. <coughs> So sometimes, even in the face of painful experience, evoking the willingness to be in contact, evoking love, in other words, is enough that we find ourselves able to sit in the pain, the sadness, the grief, the ache in our legs. And Sometimes it doesn't feel like enough. And sometimes the sense that this is too much, this is too painful, or whether it's too much or too painful or not, I just don't want it. And then that also, you can't make yourself willing to be in contact with the, the layer of uh, pain or discomfort. But even if you've added on an extra layer of not wanting it, you can be willing to be in contact with that. You can be willing to let yourself meet your resistance. Be intimate with your resistance. Love your resistance. It doesn't matter how many layers deep you are. Sometimes there's the initial discomfort, then there's the resistance to the discomfort, then there's the way we judge ourselves for having... Resistance to the discomfort. And now I'm meditating, I shouldn't be resistant. Martin said, just be with it, shouldn't be. Then we notice that we're judging ourselves, we judge ourselves for judging ourselves. Oh, there I go, judging myself, that's just the inner judge. Layer upon layer, it doesn't matter how deep down the rabbit hole you've gone. The moment that you notice the sense of division, even if, it, oh, I'm judging myself for judging myself, oh, you poor love. can you be willing to meet yourself there in the mess of your own poor crazy mind? We've all got one. And when we start to look at love in this way, as the willingness to be with what's here, and I'm emphasising that so as to separate it out from the, the tricky associations that we usually have because Even we, just through using the word love the way we reference that idea of liking intensely when we start to look at love just as the willingness to be in contact the willingness to be close to the willingness to let what's here have its life that's where intimacy starts to really deepen and open The Buddha speaks, spoke about four kinds of love, four flavors of love. And uh, some of you will have heard me speak about this before in this way, and some of you, even if you haven't heard me speak about it in this way, are uh, probably familiar or may be familiar with the what in Buddhism are called the Brahma Viharas. They're not usually called four flavors of love, but bear with me. And the, the, they... There's so there's partly we can cultivate them. We cultivate them basically through our willingness to be in contact. And partly there's a natural expansion of them that that develops and fills up the space of consciousness, fills up the heart, fills up the experience, as as we get more skilled at that willingness, as the various divisions and defenses uh, get purified or drop away. And they tend to arise, these four qualities of experience, these four flavors of love, dependent on the kind of contact. So the first the contact, the first flavor of love, which is called metta in Pali, often nastily translated, I think, as loving kindness in English, but I tend to think of it more just as care, Friendliness, actually, is, is the closest word. Metta, mita, it means friend in uh, Pali. So metta is friendliness. Kind of, and the way we experience it in the heart is as a kind of warmth, a radiance. It's the willingness to be in contact that uh, meets experience when experience is just nothing special. Nothing particularly charged, nothing particularly lovely, nothing particularly difficult. It's the orientation of the heart, it's the willingness to be in contact as we go through the day, as we walk down the street, as we take care of chores at home, as we uh, sit in, as we settle into meditation. And, and a willingness to be in contact, a friendliness to experience. And as I say, the felt sense in the heart of that is a radiance, a warmth. The Buddha describes it as like a sun shining radiantly in all directions, extending its warmth and willingness to whatever shows up. And the Buddha talk, talks about these four flavors of love as they're sometimes called the four immeasurables. He calls them boundless qualities of heart. In other words, there's no degree, to, there's no limit to to the way in which that radiance can be felt. There's no limit to the heart's capacity to feel love. No limit to the heart's capacity to radiate warmth. No limit means infinite. This intimacy with, this willingness to be in contact, opens the heart limitlessly but like we said earlier don't take my word for it born of our own willingness the second flavor of love karuna compassion arises from the willingness to be in contact with that which is painful so when it's not just whatever happening when what's happening is painful when one's witness to somebody else's suffering and confusion or distress when one actually just bears gentle witness to one's own suffering or confusion or distress, when one's confronted by pain here or there or anywhere, when one's confronted by the pain of the world, the pain of the political situation, the pain of the environmental situation, the pain of any human situation, the pain of animal situation, when one's confronted by pain, it hurts. And the willingness to be in contact, to not turn away from it, to not harden around it, to not distract oneself from it. And the felt sense in the heart is one of pain. And yet that too, opens the heart. And sometimes it feels like the heart is cracking open. It feels like the heart is breaking. And it is. But it's actually, if we let it, it breaks open. My heart, this one I take myself to be who's trying to manage all the experience cannot contain that pain. But actually we increasingly find out it doesn't need to. I don't have to hold it all. Awareness. Love. Presence this luminous, limitless knowing naturally holds it all. Increasingly, boundlessly, born of our willingness. The third flavor of love, mudita, uh, delight. Also, it's strangely translated originally, but we won't even use that translation. It's so bad. We just use delight. The flavor of love that arises in contact with the lovely, the beautiful. And we might say, well, a lot of willingness to be in touch with the beautiful. Yes, please. But actually, how easily we overlook, or we actually can't tolerate, or we turn away from. So busy with our own productions of mind, so busy with what I want, what I need, what I, uh, etc., etc., that we overlook how much there is to appreciate. And it's interesting that in the simplicity of here, without much being provided in terms of what I like, usually, what I want, usually, or the kind of activities I might choose to do, etc., etc., without much catering at all for our preferences here on retreat, within that simplicity, some space sometimes really opens up for appreciation. And it may be that the appreciation is born out of or is triggered by contact with something beautiful, with the pond, with the sunlight, with the rabbits, with the sense of support of each other. But the delight doesn't live in the rabbit. The rabbit isn't radiating delight. Right? Or maybe... The Buddha statue out there by the pond is just a lump of stone. It's not sending out delight vibes. Right? The delights born of the hearts meeting, the intimacy with the, the 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 delightful, the lovely, and there also the willingness to be in contact. the, the actually, I would say, the art of enjoying. To learn how to enjoy that which there is to enjoy. To learn how to appreciate that which there is to appreciate. We spoke the other night about how we overlook all the time. And meanwhile, oh, all the conditions of the universe are supporting us. Breath is breathing, blood is pumping, light of awareness is on. And be oh, more than that to appreciate we tend to appreciate our health when it declines, we tend to appreciate our loved ones when they're not around we tend to appreciate in the absence of and then we overlook, we long for we reach out for that kind of intimacy oh if only I had some condition to appreciate and all the while Life is, uh, re- is, is unfolding in its limitless depth of that which there is to be grateful for, to appreciate, to be willing to let in. And the felt sense in the heart of that flavor of love, of delight, it's like champagne in the heart. It's like a kind of fizzing, very nourishing. And that too is spoken about as a boundless quality. There's an infinite amount to appreciate. And the fourth quality, those of you who are tracking this in terms of the Buddhist references, Upeka, also I think poorly translated as equanimity. Equanimity, dreadful (laughs) word. Makes it sound like a kind of even keel, being equanimous in the face of whatever's happening. We've got a rather like a flatlining. But actually, equanimity, or upeka, what I would call the spaciousness, the vastness of the heart, is that quality of love that arises in relationship to the changing nature of life, the vicissitudes of life. It's not a flatlining that doesn't feel the the ups and downs. It's rather a vastness that includes them all. The willingness to be in contact with the vagaries, the changes, the uncertainties, the ups and downs, the dynamism of life, the fact that much of it is out of our control. And the felt sense of that quality of love is as a vast space in the heart. Not even a making room for, but they're just being room for. This is the natural direction that our heart, uh, in which our heart goes, or in which our heart opens. Born of our willingness. (laughs) When we hear infinity, we tend to think of out there, you know, infinite space. We look up in the sky. You contemplate the sky at night. You might be wowed by the infinity of it. Infinity of it. And it's true that the nature of infinity is space. It's spacious. But it's easier to conceive of it being out there and yet actually what we might call somewhat clumsily inner space. In other words, consciousness. When we contemplate infinity out there, we call it space. When we contemplate infinity in here, we call it consciousness. But this field of knowing is similarly infinite. Cannot find the edge. You go in, go in, go in, go in. Do you stop somewhere? Do you get to the middle? No. Heart is infinite. Awareness is infinite. Experience is infinite. There's no limit to how intimate we can be with what's happening. Born of our willingness. Not born of measuring our practice. Not born of so-called moments of success in meditation. Not born of whether we're this much or that much in touch or not in touch with breath born of our willingness to be in contact which we call love be gentle friends in the face of what unfolds see if one can be kind and friendly to what shows up see if one can be willing to be respectful enough to the pain of life to let it in See if one can be close enough to the delightful to enjoy it immensely. And see if one can abide spaciously enough to let it all pass through. It's a brief moment that you're here for. And yet, it's infinite. May we all find that out and live in the vastness of heart. That's for our own deepest well being and that of all those we come in contact with. So please spend some time abiding in whatever willingness you find. To just be close to yourself, to be so close, maybe, to experience. That experiencer and the experienced might just collapse into each other. So some time to explore and reflect in that way. And then we'll have a last short sitting together in uh, 25 minutes or so. So let's have the bell at 5 to 9, please. Thank you.